welcome to the preaching ministry podcast of Mount Pisgah Baptist Church in Easley, South Carolina. Our goal is to exalt the Savior, evangelize the sinner, and encourage the saint through faithful exposition of God's Word. Amen and praise the Lord. I'm so glad to be here with you tonight. Thank you so much. Karen Peck and New River, will you express your appreciation to them one more time, church? <laughs> Praise the Lord. I, I, uh, I loved every song, but I loved that song, Dance. Amen. It, I told your pastor this, just made me think of this. Several years ago, I was preaching in northern India. I was preaching for a group of pastors there in an area that was less than one, one, one half percent Christian. The whole area was ruled by radical uh, Hindus and the pastors serving out in the villages, most of them had been arrested for preaching, arrested for their faith in Christ. Most of them, many of them, had been beaten over and over again just for ministering the gospel and for preaching. And so, they would come together for these conferences and there'd be a huge, huge group of them out in a tent. And uh, we would preach th to them and encourage them and train them. And then they would worship. And when those men would get together, most of them were just as skinny as they could be. Most of them were malnourished and very skinny. But they would get together and just start praising the Lord and singing and enjoying one another's presence and enjoying the presence of the Lord. And one night we were there in that tent where they were and all these, all these Indian pastors were just locking arms and they were dancing. They were just dancing and jumping up and down. I'm up, up on the platform and I'm watching them as they're dancing. And then they started looking at me and going, and after they did that for a while, I decided I would get out there with them and dance. Now, I've never been anything other than a Baptist. I've never been, been tempted to dance. But I got out and I, I started dancing with them. I just danced with them. And we finished the song. I came back up on the platform, asked another pastor who was with me. I said, brother, do you think it was a sin for me to dance? He said, no, it was not a sin, but it was a crying shame. <laughs> I am so thankful to God to be here with you tonight uh, in this church. I'll tell you this, this, this church is a special place to me, and your pastor is a special person to me. A little over three years ago, and I believe it was about, I, I just had to think about the worst week I'd ever had in ministry, and I came to this place and uh, sat on the front row, and we sang that same song that we sang tonight. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. I'm a child of God. Say it. Yes, I am. Praise God. And God ministered to my heart in such an incredible way that day. Can I tell you something? Three years later, God has done so many incredible things, and I just praise 
God that I can be in this place tonight and testify. I'm a child of God. He's for me. He's not against me. I'm chosen. I'm not forsaken. I'm thankful to be with you in this place tonight. I want you to take your Bibles. If you have a copy of God's Word, turn with me, please, to the book of James chapter 2. James chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 14 through 26 of the text tonight. And tonight, I'm asking this question. Will your faith save you? Will your faith, the kind of faith you have, save you? Now, we know the Word of God teaches that we are saved by grace through faith. The salvation is the gift of God, that it does not come through works, that we receive salvation as God's gift to us as we place our faith, as we trust in Him. We are saved by grace through faith. The Bible is clear that faith is required to be saved. But the Bible is also clear that there is a kind of faith that will not save you. There's a kind of faith that will not take you to heaven, but that will take you to hell. And the Word of God warns against that kind of faith in the passage we're going to look at tonight. And so I'm asking you this question, will your faith, talking about the faith you have, save you. Will you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word? We're in James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14 of the text. And there James begins by asking this question. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is, what's the next word? Dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. But do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless or dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is, say it with me, dead. Join with me as we pray. Lord God, I thank you for what we've seen and what we've heard and what we've experienced already in this place tonight. We thank you, God, that you are here. We thank you, Holy Spirit of God, that you are moving and working. And Lord God, I pray in these moments that you would move me out of the way and Lord, speak a word to your people tonight. Lord, there are some in this room who are lost and they know they're lost. They're lost and they know they're lost. 
Lord, show them tonight how much you love them and how much they need you that tonight they might turn to Jesus and be saved. But then, Lord, there are those in this room tonight who are lost and they think they're saved. And, Lord, I just pray that you would take the blinders away from their eyes, that you'd show them from your word what it means to have true saving faith. Tonight, that you would save the lost. And we'll give you glory and honor and praise, Lord, for all that you do. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. And church, if you agree with that prayer, will you say amen? Amen. amen. You may be seated. When I was 16 years old, I was eating breakfast with my dad and some of his friends. We were out at a restaurant in my hometown of Greensboro, North Carolina. And uh, as we were there, one of my dad's friends, his name was Bill Abernathy, Bill began to, to talk about a, uh, uh, a watch that he had bought. He went to the the flea market there at the Greensboro Coliseum. And, and while he was there, he was going from booth to booth to booth, and he came across this booth where they were selling watches. And the sign on the booth said, watches, $19.99. And he started looking at the watches, and, and he looked at one of them, and he asked the guy behind the counter, he said, is this real? Is, is this for real? He said, absolutely. He said, this, this is a Seiko watch for $19.99. The guy said, well, look right there on the face. It says Seiko. He said, all right, well, I'll take two of them. He bought two watches, one to wear and one just to put away to wear later. And he was so proud of that watch. You know how it is when you get a new watch, you hope somebody's going to ask you what time it is, and somebody asked what time it was. He'd sort of flourish his wrist, and he'd show them that watch. They said, Bill, you get a new watch? He said, I sure did. He said, Seiko paid $19.99 for it. He was proud of getting that watch on that deal. And he, he loved that watch for the first couple of days he had it. And then after two days, the watch just stopped running. And uh, he tried to, to wind it. He sort of messed with the stem. It would not run. And so he took it off. He sort of began to bang it in his hand, and the watch began running counterclockwise, and he knew that wasn't right. And so he decided, well, I need to take it to a watch repair store. So he took it to a jeweler, and he showed it to him. He said, listen, I just bought this watch maybe a couple of weeks ago, and he said, uh, I paid $19.99 for it. It's a good deal, but, you know, Seiko watch, and it stopped running. I tried to mess with it. It wouldn't run. Then I, I pounded a little bit. It started running backwards, and now it's just all messed up. And the jeweler took one look at it. He said, sir, I cannot repair this watch. Bill said, you're kidding me. He said, no, I cannot repair this watch. He says, it's good as long as it runs. It's just a cheap watch. He says, it's good as long as it, run, it runs, but it's sort of riveted together. When it stops running, there's nothing anybody can do to fix it. Bill said, you're kidding me. It's a Seiko watch. And the jeweler said, you need to look a little bit closer at the face of that watch. He said, Seiko is spelled S-E-I-K-O. The face of your watch says S-I-K-E-O. He said, you got a Sikio watch and not a Seiko. <laughs> I heard Bill tell that story when I was 16 years old. Just a couple of years ago, I was preaching in my hometown, and Bill was there. I didn't know it. And uh, he came up to me at the end of the service. He said, Stephen, you start telling that story. I looked at my wife and said, there's no way this isn't me he's talking about in this story. <laughs> and I said, did I get all the details right? He said, yeah. You know, Bill thought he had the genuine article, when what he had was a cheap imitation. And there are a lot of people in church, a lot of people who have been baptized, a lot of people who are church members, a lot of people who call themselves Christians, who think they have the genuine article, 
They think they have real saving faith when what they have instead is a faith that will not save. A fake faith, an inauthentic, artificial, substitute faith. A faith that will not save, a faith that will not take you to heaven, a faith that will take you to hell. And that's what James is warning about in this passage of Scripture. If he just said it one time in the passage, it would be enough for all of eternity. But if you notice, he says it several times in this text. Faith without works is what? Dead. Now, the Bible allows for weak faith or faith that fails or, or faith that, that, that falters. But here the Bible is not describing that kind of faith. It's saying if there is not works, and we'll talk more about what the Bible means by works here. If there are no works, there just isn't any saving faith, according to the Word of God. Some people have looked at this passage of Scripture and compared it to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. There we know the Apostle Paul writes these words, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so in Ephesians, Paul says, you're saved by grace through faith and your works don't have anything to do with it. Here, James says, faith without works is dead. And some people have looked at those two passages and imagined that somehow that James and Paul are contradicting one another. May I remind you of something? All of the Bible is perfect truth and perfect truth cannot contradict perfect truth. James and Paul are not like soldiers fighting hand-to-hand -hand against one another. Instead, they are like soldiers fighting back-to-back -back against two different enemies. Paul was fighting against those who would say, well, if I'm good enough, if I'm religious enough, if I do enough good things, if I'm moral enough, if I light enough candles and say enough prayers and, and do enough religious things, then somehow I can work my way into salvation and work my way into heaven. He says, no way. You are saved by God's grace through faith, not of works. You don't have anything to do with. The only way you can be saved is to throw yourself on God's grace and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, and save me. He was fighting against those who thought they could work their way into heaven. James was fighting against a different enemy. James was fighting against those who said, well, I say that I'm a Christian. I say that I'm saved. I say that I'm a church member. I say that I've been baptized. I have been baptized. I'm on the church roll somewhere. And after that, I can live my life however I please. I can turn my back on God. I can live my life like hell. And at the end of my life, I'm going to go to heaven. He says, uh-uh. Faith without works is dead. Will your faith, the kind of faith you have, save you? As we look at this passage of Scripture, I want you to just walk with me through the text. And I want you to notice several characteristics the Word of God gives us here of what real saving faith looks like. And I want to invite you and encourage you just to hold your heart up to God's Word and ask yourself the question, will your faith, will your faith, will the kind of faith you have save you? Here's the first thing the Word of God shows us in this text. The Bible says, saving faith is more than what you say. 
Saving faith is more than what you say. Look in verse 14 of the text and notice the question that James asks again. He says, what good is it or what does it profit, my brothers, if someone, what's the next word? Says. He doesn't say what good does it do if someone has faith. It says what good does it do or what good is it if someone says he has faith but does not have works. And then he asks another question. He says, can that faith, can that kind of faith, the faith that he says he has, but a a faith that is not backed up by a changed life, by works, can that kind of faith save him? And the implied answer is no. If you say that you have faith, but there's no transformation in your life, no works showing your life has been changed to back that up, the Bible says that kind of faith cannot save you. Just saying you're a Christian, it's not the same thing as being saved. Having a piece of paper somewhere that says you got baptized on such and such a date, not the same thing as being saved. Having your name on the church computer you know, database, and they know your name and all those things about you, and it says that you're a church member, and when you came into the church, that's not the same thing as being saved. Those are just words. And notice what the Bible says as we look in this text. Words are not the same thing as the thing. (laughs) Look in verse 15. He uses a simple illustration to to show that that just saying you're saved is not the same thing as being saved. He says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, just words, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Imagine it's a cold, cold February night and it's raining outside and it's cold as it can be and someone comes and knocks on your door and you open the door and there they're standing there, they're wet, they're cold and they're shivering. They don't have on warm clothes. They say, I've gone for three days without anything to eat. It's really cold outside. I don't have anywhere to go for tonight. And you look at that person and say, you keep warm and you be full. And then you slam the door in their face. What good have you done then? None. Because the words you say will not warm a cold body or feed an empty stomach. And by the way, sometimes in the church, that's really all we do. We'll just say, God bless you and leave somebody in their misery. God calls us to reach out and to help people who are hurting and in the name of Jesus, show them the love of Christ. But here, James is saying that if we just say that we're saved, but there's nothing to back it up, it's just as empty as telling a a cold and hungry person to be filled and to be warm and to think that's going to do them any good. No, he says, faith without works is dead. So faith by itself, verse 17, if it does not have works is dead. When I was in college, I took a class and our our professor one day had us all get out a sheet of paper. He said, everybody get out a sheet of paper, get out your pens or pencils. He said, I want you to write down this at the top of the page. He said, write down hamburger. Everybody wrote down hamburger. And then he said, what do you want on the hamburger? People began to call out things, cheese. And somebody said pickles. And somebody said lettuce. And somebody said, he said, write that down. Write down whatever you want on it. Just write it down. Write down everything you want. We wrote down a description of the hamburger, sesame seed bun, all those. He said, you want barbecue sauce? Yeah, put barbecue sauce on it. Write down everything you want. He said, write down everything you want for that hamburger. He said, now fold up that piece of paper. He said, now eat that piece of paper. And I never forget what he said next. He said, the word is not the thing. 
a description of a hamburger is not a hamburger. And putting a label Christian on a lost life does not make you a Christian. You say, well, I've always considered myself a Christian. Wonderful. Does God consider you a Christian? Because when he looks at us, he looks beyond the labels we place on ourselves. He he looks beyond what we say, and he looks at the depths of who we are. Saving faith, the Bible says, is more than what you say. But continuing on in this text, I want you to see a second characteristic of saving faith. The Bible says saving faith is more than what you do. Not just more than what you say, it's also more than what you do. Look in verse 18 of the text. And there James writes, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. He, he introduces a, an imaginary person arguing with him. He says, someone will say, we don't know who that someone is, it's just someone that James introduces. He says, somebody will say, now James, you have faith, but now James, I've got works. In other words, he, he said, somebody will rise up and say, James, you're placing faith in Jesus Christ to save you. You've trusted him. You've turned from your sin. You've thrown yourself upon his mercy. And by the blood that Jesus shed on the cross and by his resurrection from the grave, you've placed faith in him and you've asked him to save you. You have faith, James, but I have works. In other words, I'm not going to trust in Jesus to save me. I'm going to be good enough, religious enough that God just has to save me. I'm going to do the right things. I'm going to help people. I'm going to volunteer at the church. I'm going to teach. I'm going to do all these things. And notice what he says as we continue on. He says, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Saving faith is more than just what you do. Listen, you can do good things. You can do religious things. You can do church things. You can do Mount Pisgah Baptist Church things. Be just neck deep in doing things in the name of Jesus. But that's not the same thing as being saved. Because the Bible says that that we are not saved by our works. Instead, we show our faith by our works. Yeah, I want to serve Jesus with all that I am. I want to give out my life each day in surrender and service to him, not in order to go to heaven, not in order to be saved, but because I have been saved, because I am going to heaven, and because he saved me out of a thankful heart, I want to do everything I can do for him. But there are a lot of people lost in church, doing church things with an artificial counterfeit faith. There was a $20 bill that began to circulate And that $20 bill did a whole lot of good. It went to a little widow's house and helped to buy her groceries for that week. And then it went to the home of a young family and it helped to pay to keep their their house heated that month. And then that $20 bill went to the church and someone put it in the offering plate and it was used to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the community and even to the far ends of the earth through missions. But then one day that $20 bill found its way into the hands of a banker. He recognized it as a counterfeit and he tore it into pieces. A fake Christian can do all kinds of good things. Can sing songs, lead in worship, teach lessons, 
preach sermons, and help people, and show kindness. But one day, you're going to stand before the judge of all of the universe, and he's going to see through all those good things. You know, I think a lot of times we, we think that if we do good things and church things, that we can hide from God. A lot of people are hiding from God in church services. A lot of people are hiding from God by serving in different areas. But one day you'll stand before him and he's going to know whether you truly trusted Jesus as your Savior and been transformed or not. Will your faith, the kind of faith you have, save you? Saving faith is more than what you say. It's more than what you do. Third, the Bible shows a saving faith is more than what you know. It's more than what you know. Continue reading with me in the text. The Bible says this, verse 19. You believe that God is one, you do well. We'll stop right there. You believe that God is one, you do well. The beginning place of faith is to believe that God is and that there is one God. The great confession of faith in all of the Old Testament is the Shema of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, where the Bible says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one God. And so you can't have saving faith without beginning by saying, I believe in God, I believe in the one true God. And so James says, you believe there is one God, you believe that God is one, you do well. But then he shows you're in very interesting company if you stop right there. You believe that there is one God, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the, what's the next word? Say it real loud. Even the demons, even the devils believe and shudder. Did you know every demon in hell believes in God? Every demon of hell believes in God. Satan himself believes in God. And not only that, the Bible says, even the demons believe and shudder. That word shudder means that they quake in fear. And, and quite literally, it means that the hair on the back of their necks stand up at the mention of God's name. They believe in God. Saving faith is more than just saying, uh-huh, I believe in God. Uh-huh, I believe in Jesus. Uh-huh, I believe that Jesus is God's son. The devil of hell is absolutely orthodox in everything that he believes. In fact, I wonder what would happen if on a Sunday morning at my church, when we were having the invitation time, that for some reason the devil came to church that day and decided, in fact, he, he comes to church most Sundays, by the way, but if, <laughs> if he were to come to, to church that day and, and walk the aisle at the invitation and present himself to me that morning for church membership, I think my church would want me to ask the devil some questions before we voted him in to the church, don't you? And the interview might go something like this. I might say, now, devil, a lot of our people are very familiar with you already, but <laughs> just a few questions before we vote. Devil, do you believe in God? He would say, yes, I believe in God. Well, now, devil, we believe that God is holy. 
Do you believe that God is holy and perfect and righteous altogether? He'd say, oh, yes. He said, I, I saw him in heaven. I, I used to, to lead in worship in his presence before I rebelled against him and was cast out of heaven. I, I believe that he is holy. In fact, I believe he is holy, holy, holy. I believe he's the thrice holy God. Well, okay, devil, now, let me ask you this. Do you believe that Jesus is the eternal son of God? Well, yes. I, I know he was. I know he is. I saw him in heaven before he came to earth. Well, devil, do you believe that he was born of a virgin? Well, yes, I did everything I could to snuff out his life in its infancy. But yes, I believe that, that Jesus was born of a virgin. Well, well, devil, do you believe that Jesus lived a perfect and sinless life? He'd say, well, yeah, I believe that. I threw every temptation I know at him. And he defeated me every time. I know Jesus lived a perfect and sinless life. Well, now, devil, we're a Baptist church. Do you believe in baptism and baptism by mercy? Say, yep, that's how John the Baptist baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. I believe in baptism by mercy. Well, devil, do you believe that Jesus died on the cross? And the devil would say, absolutely I do. I thought that was the greatest day in all of eternity when he died on that cross. I thought I had defeated him then. Well, devil, do you believe that Jesus rose from the grave on the third day? And he'd hang his head and said, yes. Came out of that grave on the third day and defeated me. I could go through every doctrine in the Bible and the devil believes every one. The devil is completely orthodox in everything he believes. He could teach at one of our seminaries. He may have been my Old Testament professor. <laughs> but if I were to ask him, we're still standing there at the front of the church. If I were to ask him, devil, you have been in rebellion against holy God. Have you turned from your sin and rebellion and turned to Jesus Christ and surrendered yourself to him and been changed by him? He would begin to shudder and the hair on the back of his neck would begin to stand up and he would say, no, 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 I hate Jesus. And there's some people in this room who are not any better off than the devil of hell. Here's what I mean. You know all the right answers about Jesus. And in your mind, you would say yes to every one of them. But you've never truly turned to him in repentance. And he's never changed your heart and your life. Someone has said that the distance between heaven and hell is a distance of 18 inches. It's the distance between your head and your heart. Saving faith is more than what you know. It's one thing to know all the right answers in Sunday school. It's another thing to know Jesus. I'm asking you tonight, do you know him? And say, well, how, how can I tell? If saving faith is more than what I say and it's more than what I do and more than what I know, what is saving faith? Well, continue reading with me in the text. Because as we move to the end of this chapter, James begins to show us what saving faith is. And here's, here's how I would say it. Saving faith is trust in Jesus Christ that transforms your life. 
Jesus never touched a life without transforming it. I said, Jesus never touched a life without transforming it. Amen. I knew there were some of y'all wanted to say amen to that first. And if there's no transformation, there's no Jesus. There's no change in your life. There, there's no Christ in your life. He never touches a life without transforming it. And James shows us that by going all the way back to the Old Testament to show that faith in the living God, faith that culminates in faith in Christ, transforms. Look in your Bible in verse 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless. And then he gives two examples. The first example he gives is Abraham. Was not Abraham, our father, justified or shown to be righteous by works, by obedience, by a transformed life when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Abraham was a pagan and an idolater. And God came to him, took him out, said, Abraham, I want you to look up the stars. He said, can you count the stars? Abraham said, no. He said, Abraham, I'm going to make you a, such a great nation. Your, your descendants are going to be like the stars of the sky. And Abraham said, yes, Lord. And he believed God. Abraham was 99 years old. His wife was 89 years old. Her name was Sarah. And they had never been able to have a child. And God had made this promise to Abraham. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make you uh, so great that, that your descendants will be like the stars of the sky. You won't even be able to number them. And Abraham believed God, but he had no son. He had no heir through his wife, Sarah. The Lord came to them one day and said, at 89 years old, 99 years old, one year from now, Sarah's going to give birth to her firstborn son. And they laughed because they understood biology just like we would. And they, they, they laughed. She can't have a child. And a year later, Sarah gave birth to her firstborn son. They called him Isaac. His name means laughter. Can you imagine a 90-year-old woman and a 100-year-old man enrolling in the new parent Sunday school class at the church? <laughs> God gave them that son. Oh, and Isaac brought so much laughter and joy into their lives, and, and he grew, and Abraham watched him grow, and all of his hopes and dreams for what God was going to do in his life and what he had trusted God to do, all of those things were tied up in that little boy, and that little boy got about this big, and then he got about this big, and then he got about this big, then he may have been even taller than his daddy, and, and one day the Lord came to Abraham and said, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. And I want you to take him to the top of Mount Moriah and I want you to sacrifice him to me there. And by faith, Abraham said, yes, Lord. And they got up early in the morning, began to make their way up the side of that mountain. Isaac was old enough and smart enough to understand what was, he didn't know all that was going on, but he knew something was going on. He said to his dad, he said, dad, I see that you got the fire you got that torch to, to light the fire. And I see that you got the wood for the sacrifice. But dad, where's, where's the ram? Where's the animal for the sacrifice? And Abraham said to his son, the Lord himself will provide a ram. 
They got to the top of that mountain and Abraham built the altar and he bound up his son Isaac and placed his son on top of that, uh, that altar and he, he reached into his belt and pulled out a flint knife and as he held that sharp flint knife over the quivering chest of his son, his only son Isaac, whom he loved, he showed that he had trusted God years before at the point of obedience and transformed life. Saving faith is when you trust Jesus and you show that you've trusted Jesus by a transformed life. And you remember the rest of the story. They're caught in the thicket. God indeed did provide a ram for the salvation of Isaac. Oh, but years, years, and years later, there came a time when the Bible says God did not spare his own son, but he delivered him up for us all. He loves us so much that he sent his son nailed to that cross, dying and shedding his blood to pay the price for our sin. He laid his body down in death. They buried him in that tomb. He came out of the tomb on the third day to give eternal resurrection life and transformation to everyone who believes. That's salvation. Saving faith is when you trust Jesus and you show you've trusted him through a transformed life. And so he talks about Abraham. And yet we might look at that and say, well, good night, that's Abraham. Abraham was the father of faith. Abraham was a great patriarch. Surely God wouldn't expect me to have the same kind of faith as Abraham. So he gives another example. He gives the example of a woman named Rahab. Look in verse 25. And in the same way, was not also Rahab? I've known girls and women named Elizabeth. That's a biblical name. I've known girls named Leah, Rebecca, Rachel, Mary, Abigail, all biblical names. I've never known a girl or a woman named Rahab, have you? I guess it's because of what always goes along with her name, Rahab the harlot, Rahab the prostitute. Well, that's who she was. Notice I said that's who she was. That, that's who she used to be. That, that's, that's who she was. She lived in that, that sinful city of Jericho. She was surrounded by sin. She made her living, her livelihood through sin. But she heard about the living God of Israel who was giving the people of Israel victory as they were marching across the wilderness and getting closer and closer and closer to her sinful city. And somewhere along the way, she placed her faith in the living God. But she showed that she had faith. She showed she had saving faith at the point of transformed obedience when the spies from Israel came into her city and she protected them and sent them out another way. And she showed that she had saving faith by a life transformed. Saving faith is when you trust Jesus 
and Jesus transforms you. Man, we have emptied what it means to be saved. We've just so emptied it that there are people who are lost and think they're saved and because we've sometimes just reduced being saved to saying, uh-huh, to a set of facts about Jesus. Uh-huh, I believe Jesus is God's son. Uh-huh, I believe he died on the cross. Uh-huh, I believe I'm a sinner. Uh-huh, I believe he rose from the grave. Uh-huh, I, I believe that I have to trust in him to be saved. Uh-huh, and we say uh-huh to all those things, and there's no change. And we walk away from saying all those uh-huhs still in our sin and still needing to be saved. Real saving faith is worth having. But some little superficial decision that will allow me to say "Uh uh-huh to a crowd of facts about Jesus and then continue on my merry way and live like hell. Man, I don't want it if it's that. It's not that. Real saving faith will transform every part of who you are and fill you with the joy of Jesus Christ and give you purpose and peace and hope. It'll transform everything about your life. It'll transform your habits. It'll give you a new desire to serve God. It saves and changes every part of you. Saving faith is when you trust Jesus and you show you trusted Jesus by a transformed life. Is There's no transformation There's no salvation. Will your faith, the faith you have, save you? Dan and Martha loved one another. And he wanted to ask her to marry him, but he couldn't afford to buy a real engagement ring. So Dan went to, I don't know where, some little store where you could buy a fake gold band with a fake diamond. And they went out one night and he got down on his knee and he said to Martha, honey, this gold is not real and this diamond is not real, but my love for you is real. Will you marry me? And she said, yes. And they got married. Oh, and they had a wonderful marriage together. They had kids. And Dan began to, to get promoted at work, and he was doing better and better. And at their 15th wedding anniversary, he had saved enough to go to the jewelry store. And he went and bought the, the best engagement ring he could buy. Biggest diamond he could get beautiful gold band. He came home early that day and he got to the house and Martha was there at the kitchen sink and she was washing dishes by the window and he had that diamond ring in a velvet covered box. He opened it up. The light came in through that kitchen window and made that diamond sparkle brilliantly. He was down on one knee behind her. He said, Martha, she turned around and she saw that ring. He said, honey, 15 years ago, I couldn't afford to buy you a real gold band, couldn't afford to buy you a real diamond. 
But today, I want to give you a, a diamond ring that's as real as my love for you is. I love you so much. And she looked at that diamond ring in that box. And then she closed the box and gave it back to Dan. She said, Dan, I don't want it. He said, honey, why not? She said, well, I've been wearing this for 15 years. And I'm used to this. If I get rid of this and put on that, all my friends will know that I've got something different. They'll know that for 15 years I wore something that wasn't real. I'd be embarrassed for them to know that. Plus, I, I'm, I'm comfortable with this, so I'll just keep this. You take that back. You say, why would she do that? Why would someone hold on to a cheap imitation when someone who loved her so much had paid such a high price to give her the real thing. Friend, why would you hold on to a fake, artificial faith? A faith that will not save you. A faith that God says will not take you to heaven will take you to hell. A faith that the Bible calls a dead faith. Why would you hold on to that when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who loves you so much, paid the highest price to offer you free right now the real thing? A transformed life through trusting in him. Would you allow embarrassment to keep you from trusting Jesus and being saved? Would you allow, wondering what your friends or family members are going to say, would you allow that to keep you from getting saved? By the way, in my years as a pastor, I've had opportunity to see people, sometimes people in their 60s, 70s, and 80s who've been in church all their lives, and they realize that they're lost, and they're humble enough to realize they need to get saved, and they get saved. You know something? You know what their family members do? They rejoice. You know what their friends do? They rejoice. There's no shame in getting things right with Jesus. But what a shame to hold on to something that won't save you when Jesus is offering you the real thing. Will your faith, the faith you have, save you? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes as we pray together. Pastor, I want to ask if you and those who work with you for the invitation time, if you'll just come and be in your places. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. We're going to stand and we're going to sing. But right now in this quiet moment, just right before God, I'm, I'm talking about you before God. I'm not asking you if you're a church member. I'm not asking you if you've been baptized. Not asking where you serve, what you do. I'm asking you this. Will your faith, the kind
kind of faith you have save you? Let me ask it another way. Has Jesus Christ transformed your life? Faith without works, faith without transformation is dead. Friend, I don't want you to walk out of this place tonight with a dead faith that will not save you. God doesn't want you to leave this place tonight with a dead faith that will not save you. He sent his son Jesus to die for you. He paid the price with his own blood to give you real saving faith. And tonight he'll save you if you call on him. And so right now in this moment with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to invite you to call on the name of Jesus. And to ask him to save you. If you're unsaved or if you're unsure. Right now you need to call on Jesus. And ask him to save you. And the Bible promises. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord. Shall be saved. I'm going to lead us in a simple prayer. I'm going to pray out loud. As you pray in your heart. And if you pray this prayer in your heart. And mean it before God. Not just saying words. But if you mean it and call on God he promises he'll save you right now you can pray with me you pray in your heart as I pray it out loud just pray this way dear Jesus just say dear Jesus I believe you are God's son Jesus I know I'm a sinner Jesus I've said things and done things and thought things that do not please you And Jesus, I know I cannot save myself. But Jesus, with all of my heart, I believe you died on the cross to pay for my sins. And Jesus, I believe you rose from the grave to give me eternal life. So Jesus, right now I turn from my sins. I ask you to forgive me. Lord, save me from my sins. Transform my life. Save me right now, Jesus, and let me know that I'm saved. And Jesus, I'll follow you all the days of my life. For I pray this, Jesus, in your name. Our heads bowed, our bowed, our eyes are closed. In just a moment, we're going to stand up. Pastors and others will be here at the front. If you prayed that prayer with me, just as soon as you stand up, I'm asking you to step out. Faith without works, the Bible says, is dead. Faith without transformation, dead. Here's one way to show a transforming work of God in your life. Tonight, I'm inviting you to step out of your seat, walk down the aisle, and tell one of the people here, all you need to say is, I prayed that prayer. Or I just got saved. Just come and say, I prayed that prayer. Or I just got saved. And they'll know exactly what you mean. And they're going to help you take your next steps with Jesus. But if you meant business with God and prayed, you need to come. Father in heaven, we give this time of invitation to you. We pray, God, that you would use it. Lord, I pray that people tonight who have prayed to receive Jesus would come. I pray that no one would leave this place unsaved or unsure. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. As we stand and as we sing, you come.
Thanks for taking the time to listen to the preaching ministry podcast of Mount Pisgah Baptist Church. If you'd like additional information, please visit mtpisgah.cc.